today. Um, this, this might be news to you, so, you know, great if it is. Um, and for others of you, I'm going to be speaking about truths today that you have been living out for years or for decades. And, and I know some of y'all could write a book about how God has shown these things to be true in your life. Um, but the fact of the matter is we all need to hear it. The newbies, the old timers, I need to hear it. We need to be thrilled by it and astonished by it again. We're going to do things a little differently this morning. Um, we're going to talk for a little bit. Well, let's be honest. I'm going to talk for a little bit uh, about confession and forgiveness. Um, and then we'll, we're, we're going to pray a prayer of confession together. Um, and then we're going to take some communion. We're going to take communion together and do some singing. And then I'm going to finish the message after that, and, and then we'll close in song and, and with a blessing. Um, okay, so that's what's going to happen. We good? Ready to get our gospel on? All right. Um, we're going to be digging into the book of Psalms today, Psalm 32 in particular. Um, book of Psalms are, are, are a great place for people who are looking to learn more about prayer and about worship of God. The fact of the matter is, prayer can be a whole lot simpler than we sometimes try to make it, right? Um, the fact of the matter is, prayer can simply be talking to God. Indeed, it needn't even be that complicated. Um, sometimes prayer can simply be just an awareness of God's presence, kind of like sitting in comfortable silence with an old friend that, you know, with whom you have nothing to prove. However, for those of us who are newer to prayer, these are great models of ways for connecting with God. And even for those of us who have been walking with God for a long time, there are seasons, I mean, we can all testify to this, there are seasons, there are situations um, when we feel like there are simply no words. And the Psalms can be very helpful in those situations. And the great thing, too, is, is that we see in the Psalms just about every imaginable emotion and response represented, which tells us that we can go to God in all of these different situations. But this psalm we're going to be looking at today, Psalm 32, um, it was written by King David, um, traditionally uh, thought to be sometime after his, his, um, you know, his famous debacle with, with Bathsheba. Um, and if you're, you've been in the Bible a lot, you're probably going to be familiar with this story, but, but David has an affair, and as a part of the cover-up, he has the woman's husband killed. And, and he kind of gets away with this for a while. Um, you know, even if I wanted to, my station in life doesn't allow me to sin on a scale quite this spectacular. Uh, but these are things you could get away with back then if you were king. And he got away with it for a while, at least until Nathan the prophet comes and dramatically confronts him and calls him to repentance. Uh, and then right after, it would seem sort of fairly soon after that, he writes, um, he writes Psalm 51, sort of in the throes of those feelings of, of having done wrong. Um, but Psalm 32 is one that's written likely uh, a little later, after a season of sitting in God's forgiveness and reflecting on God's forgiveness. It's one of the so-called... Um, penitential psalms. There, there are seven psalms that, that are referred to as the penitential psalms. Um, and this one in particular, 32, was used 
as a part of the service in the synagogue on the, on the Day of Atonement, a very serious day of coming to God in repentance. And yet, we, we see this uh, in this psalm, as we're going to read it in a minute, it's, it's as jubilant as it is repentant. It's kind of funny that way. And, and it seems to express at once, yes, sorrow over his grievous sin, but at the same time, it expresses the joy and the gratitude of forgiveness received. Now, at the top, in, in some of your Bibles, it'll say that this is a, a maskil of David. And what on earth is a maskil? Well, a maskil is, is, in this case anyway, it's a word that refers to a song or a poem or an idea that warrants deep contemplation. So perhaps then the music that was set to accompany this, because this was a psalm that was initially intended to be sung, so perhaps it was slower or maybe it was more repetitive or had longer pauses throughout it in order to allow for better reflection. It's one way of encouraging both the singers and the, and the listeners alike to give special attention to the ideas contained in here. And so it would behoove us to do the same. Um, if you are able, please stand now for the reading of God's word. I'm going to read Psalm 32 in its entirety. It says this. <coughs> Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely, when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Thus far, the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So David starts with, Blessed, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. Blessed is he, blessed is she, who has received forgiveness at God's hands. Some, say, tr some translations say, happy are they. Uh, Eugene Peterson paraphrases it as lucky. Uh, not in the sense of, of, you know, rolling dice in Vegas kind of way, but rather in the sense that you are truly fortunate 
if you have experienced the forgiveness of God. God is telling us that forgiveness is to be found in God and that it is a great thing and that it's to be found in God regardless of the nature of sin. If you look at this, the, these first two verses, the, the original Hebrew uses three different words for sin that imply sort of three different types of sin. But the idea is that the forgiveness of God is sufficient to cover all kinds of sin. That the type or the greatness of our sin pales in insignificance and smallness when measured against the vastness, the completeness, the, the, the blinding brilliance of the forgiveness of God. And then in verse 3, it says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Failing to confess to God is a formula for misery. Plain and simple. David is telling us from, from experience, and he would be a guy who knows, that for the follower of, of God, for the person who realizes that they fall short of perfection, unconfessed sin will eat away at us. The fact of the matter is, God never created us for sin, and we were certainly never made to bear the weight of sin and guilt. That's, that's not what we're wired for. We're not, we're not built to, ha- to deal with that on our own. And so if you're living with unconfessed sin, if I am living with unconfessed sin, we are, we, are not, we are not living God's best for us. That's why God had created a way for his people to be relieved of their sin and of their guilt. He had created a system of ceremonial cleansings and sacrifices that allowed his chosen people to be cleansed from their sin and of their guilt and to thereby have communion with God, even a holy God. And if you look at the greater narrative of of the Scripture, you'll see that ever since our first ancestors introduced sin into the world, thus separating us from God, it has been a significant part of the work of God since then to destroy the power of sin and death and to, to mitigate its hold on us and to make it possible for people to come into relationship with him. Thus, you know, all of these sacrifices, this ceremonial cleansing. But this was as yet an imperfect system. God had something better in store, but more about that later. Okay? In verse 5, David says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. After a season, um, it's it's unclear how long it took, though we do know that if this psalm is indeed a response to the, the Bathsheba incident, he required some confronting and some coaxing. But David eventually decides to make a clean breast of it with God, and he confesses his sin to God. So, so what, is, what is confession, really? Um, what does it mean to confess our sin? In short, it's simply to agree with God. It's simply to acknowledge that he is right. He is right to call our sin what it is, wrong. 
Now, there's another important part of all of this, and that's called repentance. That's, that's when we do all the hard work of, of, you know, with the help of God, but we do all the hard work of changing our thinking and changing our behavior so that it can become in keeping with, in step with, God's righteousness and his kingdom. But, but that's a whole other big thing for another morning. We're, we're talking about confession this morning. The psalmist here does this. He confesses. He stops, he stops pretending to himself. He stops pretending to others. And he stops pretending to God. And he acknowledges his wrongdoing. And what happens? God forgives him. In doing so, he realized that God is true to his word. He confessed and God was faithful to forgive. The guilt was gone. Almost seems too good to be true. Verse 6. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely, when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. <laughs> the writer is saying, look, look, everyone, what are, you, what are you waiting for? Go to God with your sin and be forgiven. This, this course of action comes with, comes with the Davidic seal of approval. It, 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 what, what's more, it is, the, the forgiveness is, is so complete so complete is the forgiveness and restoration offered by God that it renders him proof against further attacks from the enemy. God is the stronghold of his people. And then in verse 8, we hear the voice of God promising guidance to the psalmist. The forgiven sinner in, in, in the true ways, guidance in the true ways, in, in the ways of righteousness and of goodness. Indeed, God seems to talk about this teaching almost as though it were a part of the provision of protection that David was talking about earlier. Then uh, verses 9 and 10. Seems a little unkind. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. God compares us rather unflatteringly, when we are a little slow at learning this, with mules that need to be sort of manually steered into repentance, into the way, way that we should go. But don't, don't do that. Don't, don't be like that, is what the scripture is teaching. Not so much because it's wrong to be like that. Though, I mean, it is wrong, and we're told elsewhere in Scripture that it is wrong to be like that. But that's not even so much what this passage is teaching us. And it's not even so much that, that, that God will smite us if we are unrepentant. I mean, there are examples of God punishing hypocrisy elsewhere in the Scripture, but that's not really what this passage is talking about. No, in this passage, we are discouraged from living that way why? Just because it sucks to live that way. If you really know what God is like, you're acting like a mule if you behave with, the kind of, with, with that kind of duplicity 
with others or with yourself or with God. And I, and I mean, this is, this is something I know for, for myself firsthand. I, I mean, I make no secret of the fact that, that I am a recovering porn addict. And, and for the majority of the time that I was struggling with that, I tried really, really hard to keep it a secret. Um, especially in the church, it tends to be one of those things that you don't want to admit to someone else that you struggle with. I mean, I wish it weren't so, and the truth is it needn't be so, but, you know, it is so. And it certainly was with me at any rate. Um, I didn't want to admit my sin, and there were, there were all sorts of big lies of which I had been persuaded that kept me from confessing. And I don't think that they're unique to me, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share, them, share them with you right now. Especially when I was just sort of starting and just getting into that sin, I didn't want to admit to myself that it was a big problem. Um, the first lie, so the first lie was this. It, it's not really that bad that I would need forgiveness. This kept me from confessing my sin, even to myself. But the truth? It was a problem. Sin is a problem. Secondly, I had persuaded myself that I was all alone in my sin, and that no one else struggled as I did, and that no one would else, else would, would understand this. And, and this led to the second lie. I am alone. Whereas the truth is, whatever it is you, you struggle with, there are many others who are in the same boat. That's just the truth. And also, I had also persuaded myself that it could be solved without help from others. And that is yet another lie. You know, just, just me and Jesus, we can get through this. And, and these two lies um, kept me from confessing my sin to my friends and admitting to them that I struggled. But the truth of the matter is, we are together, we are the body of Jesus. And as such, we are all invited and called to be agents of healing for each other. And for me, probably the, the biggest and the most destructive lie of all that I came to believe and that was this, especially after I had, you know, just finished sinning. I was persuaded that God didn't want to hear from me. You know, no way, look at what I had just done. The big lie was this, God is angry with me and doesn't want to forgive me. The truth the truth, as we've already seen from this passage, is that God longs to forgive his people and to release them from their sin. The truth is that God's desire for me and for you is good, always good. The, 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 the paradigm-altering, life-changing truth is that I could be right in the middle of whatever, it doesn't even matter. At any point, I can stop and turn in confession and repentance 
to the God who loves me and gave himself for me, and he will be there with arms wide open to receive me. And the same is true for you, whatever it is that your issue might be. Don't be like a mule that needs a bit and a bridle. It, it stinks to live that way. We weren't made to live that way. We weren't made to, to live under the crushing load of the guilt of our sin. We weren't made for that. Give it up to the God who longs to open his arms to you and offer his forgiveness freely. So we're going to take a, a few minutes before we come to the table um, and we're going to confess sin together. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a passage of scripture from 1 John and then I'm going to pray a prayer. And if, if any of what I've been saying today kind of resonates with you, then I'm going to invite you to pray along with me. Okay, and, and we're going we're gonna to confess our sin together. Okay? From 1 John chapter 1. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie. And, and so we do not live in the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So let's pray. Most holy and merciful Father, we confess to you and to one another that we have sinned against you by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not fully loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have not always had in us the mind of Christ. You alone know how often we have grieved you by wasting our, your gifts, by wandering away from your ways. Forgive us, we pray you, most merciful Father, and free us from our sin. Renew in us the grace and strength of your Holy Spirit for the sake of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. Amen. So brothers and sisters, I have good news for you. I, I, have, I have spectacular, monumental news for you. And that is that if you prayed that prayer sincerely in your heart, your sins are forgiven. Period. I don't, I don't care what you did. I don't care how bad it was. The size and the intensity and the frequency 
of your sin is, is next to nothing at all when compared with the, the immeasurable might, the, the boundless depth and the, and the radiant, blinding brilliance of God's love for you. You are forgiven. Because here's the thing, folks. Remember when I was talking before about the ultimate inadequacy of the sacrificial system of King David's time? <coughs> God knew that. And he knew that the only real permanent solution to our sin problem was for someone who was completely sinless, who had no sin debt of their own, to pay what is ultimately the penalty for our sin, death. The problem was that all of humanity, of course, was infected with sin. You know, songwriter, one of my favorite songwriters, Charlie Peacock, in his song called that, That's the Point, he says, sin is a sickness, not just something you do from time to time, like slipping or tripping or losing your keys. It's in you, mister, and sister, it's in me. God knew this, and so there was only one thing left to do. About 2,000 years ago, in a feat of, of metaphysics that we don't yet understand entirely, God himself took on our human flesh, and he came to earth, born of an unwed peasant girl and raised in a nowhere town. And he would grow up, and, and, and while fully human, he would reveal to us the very character and the nature of God, because he was God, and, and, and lived a life teaching truth and healing and giving of himself. Ultimately, however... Jesus Christ was not the kind of God and Messiah that people wanted. And his radical life and his radical love would upset the political and religious systems of his day. And while he could have stopped it any time he wanted to, he would ultimately give himself up to be betrayed by his friends, convicted in a mockery of a trial, tortured, ridiculed and brutally executed all this to reveal to us the love of god and to pay the penalty for our sin and it was on that night that he was betrayed that he was sharing a meal with his friends and he took bread and he picked it up and he broke it and he said this is my body it's for you. So do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup represents a new covenant in my blood. And it's for you. So do this in remembrance of me. The body of Christ, the blood of Christ, representing his sacrifice on our behalf, so that our sin could be forgiven, period. The Apostle Paul said that as often as we do this, as often as we eat the bread, we drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until such time as he comes again. And we're going to do, do that right now. I'm going to invite you in just a second to come forward. We'll come forward down the middle. You can take a piece of bread. Um, you can take... Um, one of the little cups there. You can partake right there if you want, or you can 
uh, go back and, and, and reflect for a while in your seat. We're going to sing together while we do this. We're going to celebrate the forgiveness that is ours in Christ. We're going to celebrate the new covenant in his blood, which is for us, that we declare with joy until such time as he comes again. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Come and partake. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. So do, do, come forward. And let's, let's partake together. Come on, Ben, let's, we're, we're going to sing while we do this. Welcome to the place of level ground. Welcome to the place where grace abounds. We all need mercy. We all need mercy. Welcome to the place where none can Welcome to the place, compassion flows. We all need mercy. We all need mercy. None of us are worthy on our own. None of us can keep the None of us have lived a sinless life. Thanks be to God, He sent us all the Savior, Jesus Christ, the only God of grace, favor and
Love. 
you can have a seat. Just a, just a few more words before um, close with another song or two. Um, so do you know then how blessed you are? So, so David, David had begun this psalm by, by, by saying, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. Do you know how blessed you are? Let's just talk about that for a couple of minutes before we go today. First, the obvious thing. The, the, our, our sin debt is paid. The book of Romans teaches us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus our Lord. Sin undealt with inevitably leads to separation from God, and God, whether or not we're prepared to believe it or acknowledge it, is the source and the sustainer of all life. Therefore, sin results in all kinds of death, but thanks be to him... God is, as, as demonstrated in the life of Jesus, in the resurrection business. And as we confess our sin, and as we are forgiven, God stops that cycle, that spiral of death, by allowing us access into the presence of God himself, who is the source of all life. We can live, and we can have life abundantly. Our sin debt is paid. Secondly, we need no longer live in guilt. Now, the Holy Spirit will, will faithfully convict us of sin, but that's an entirely different thing from the crippling weight of guilt. There was a mentor of mine that once told me a, a, a simple yet profound trick to telling the difference between the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit and just plain old guilt. And here it is. The Holy Spirit will always point you to Jesus. So if you're convicted of sin and it points you to Jesus, that's the Holy Spirit. And that will lead you to repentance, to, 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 to Jesus and to the cross. If, on the other hand, the feeling you're having is pushing you away from Jesus, like it, like it did to me, telling me that God doesn't want anything to do with me. That's just guilt. That is either we ourselves or it's the enemy of our souls lying to us and telling us that the love of God, the blood of Jesus, is inadequate. Lies. We don't need to live with that stuff anymore. We are blessed Third, we are, we are free now to forgive others. Now that we are unburdened by the weight of sin, we are invited and indeed we are called to participate in the work of Jesus and in his kingdom. That is blessing the world. It's a significant part of, 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 of this living for his kingdom. Um, a significant part of that is, is living and modeling his forgiveness to others when we are wronged. 
It's not always an easy thing to do, but by the Spirit's enabling, we can live out, we have the awesome opportunity to live out the love of Jesus in this way. We are blessed. And fourth, we are blessed because we have experienced, as forgiven people, one of the profoundest expressions of the love of God. That he would have given of himself, he would have given his own life, spilt his own blood, that we can enter into a relationship with him. That the almighty creator and sustainer of the universe would love us that much. We are blessed, people. We are blessed. We are blessed. We are blessed beyond measure. And so, the last verse of the, of the chapter is, Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. And, and yeah, so let's do that. We're going to sing a couple more songs here, and then, and then we'll close.
talked about today, uh, feel free to come, come talk to me. I'd, I'd love to discuss it with you. Uh, if you've got questions or challenges or whatever, I'd, I'd love it if you came and talked to me. And there are probably a number of people in this room that you could talk to about that. Um, but also, if you want to receive prayer, come forward. There are people who would love to pray with you. There are refreshments in the back. Um, but for now, uh, remain standing and receive the benediction. As you go from this place, may our great God, who is the God of all grace, grant you this particular grace this week. That you would walk in his love, in the freedom of his forgiveness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Be blessed.